first journey part five of narrative of the operations and recent discoveries in egypt and nubia by giovanni belzoni this librivox recording is in the public domain first journey part five proceeding on our voyage we passed taffa and entered the rocks of granite above that place here the nile seems as if a passage had been cut for it through a chain of high mountains which rise nearly perpendicular on each side of the river and open gradually to the south into another country as we advanced forward the view extended more and more on the right of the nile were several groups of palm trees on the left the distant ruins of Kalabza and in the centre the island of the same name which has a formidable appearance at a distance owing to the ruins of some saracenic houses which give it the resemblance of a castle we arrived at this island the same evening twenty ninth this day we arrived at a village named el kalabsi at the foot of a rock and facing the river stand the ruins of a temple which certainly must have been of later date than any other in nubia for it appeared to me to have been thrown down by violence as i did not see that decay in its materials which i have observed in other edifices and what remained standing clearly proved that time had had nothing to do with the destruction of it on the water side before the temple is a landing-place which leads straight to the propylaeon as the gate of this does to the portico the propylaeon is in good preservation but the portico is quite destroyed there are two columns and one pedestal on each side of the door into the pronaos they are joined by a wall raised to nearly half their height which proves the late period when this temple was erected as such a wall is clearly seen in all other temples of later date and i would not hesitate to say that tintura philo edfun and this temple were erected by the ptolemies for though there is great similitude in all the egyptian edifices yet there is a certain elegance in the forms of the more recent that distinguishes them from the older massy and enormous works whence they appear to me to have been executed by egyptians under the direction of greeks the pronaos and the cella are detached from the main wall all around the intermediate space forms a gallery so as to leave them isolated from the rest of the wall the roof has fallen down except a small portion on the chamber behind the aditum in the wall of which there are several cells merely large enough to contain a single person in each they must have been either prisons for men or places for the sacred animals there are groups of figures on the walls of the cella which retain their colours remarkably well better indeed than in any other temple in egypt which i think is another proof of its being of later date than many others as we entered this temple immediately on our landing there were none of the people at its door but when we were coming out we found a great number of natives assembled at the entrance of the propylaeon and as we attempted to pass through it they closed it entirely and demanded money they were all armed with spears shields halberts and so forth i told them that i would not be forced to part with money thus but if they would let us pass i would do what i thought proper i did not allow them time to reflect but immediately walked forward staring them in the face and no one touched us when on the outside i gave them a bakshis and told them i was ready to give them a farther present if they would bring me some antiquities this they did and i bought several tombstones with greek inscriptions 
they took us to see a smaller temple a quarter of a mile distant and we passed a great deal of rubbish and stones which indicate the ruins of an ancient town extending about a mile mr burkhart says this seems to have been the town of talmus the quantity of pottery in the ruins is all of greek manufacture scarcely anything egyptian is found among them but if this be not sufficient evidence that the town was built by the greeks i can produce an incontrovertible proof that the temple was a place of their worship it was only a few months previous to our arrival there that one of the natives raising a stone among the ruins of the temple saw a piece of metal he did not know what it was but as whatever is found in the ruins the natives always suspect to be gold he took this to be so not being certain of it however he communicated his discovery to others who immediately claimed a share of it and of course a scuffle ensued some time after the circumstance came to the ears of ibrahim bashaw or his soldiers at aswan who did not fail to take possession of it on their first tour to collect the miri in that country the piece turned out to be a golden lamp of grecian form with part of a chain attached to it it was sent to cairo and i believe money was made of it this will prove two points one that the temple was used by the greeks and the other that it was destroyed by violence for if the temple had fallen gradually by decay the lamp would not have been left there to be buried under the ruins the small temple we saw cut out of the rock i think is considerably older than this and of a construction more conformable with the others of that country on the south side of the large temple stands the village which consists of a few huts built of earth and of stones from the ruins near the temple i observed an ancient wall parallel with the front of it and having several divisions apparently the habitations of the priests the country round has a pleasing aspect owing to the groups of palm trees and their contrast with the barren rocks everywhere else but the cultivated grounds are very scanty behind the mountain are valleys with some acacia trees of which the natives make charcoal when the nile is at its height they make rafts of the same wood and the charcoal put into sacks fabricated of palm leaves or of a kind of rush is conveyed on them to cairo for sale dura salt and tobacco being brought back in return we arrived on the same day at garba dandur where are the ruins of a small temple consisting only of a proanos and two chambers in the front there is a small portal and a species of platform which extends from the propylaeon to the river one hundred feet long and fifty wide this could not have been built as a landing-place as there are no marks of stairs anywhere the inner apartments have a few hieroglyphics and two columns the rocks here are pretty close to the water and for some miles without a spot of cultivated land we proceeded on to garba maria and early the next morning landed at girsh this temple is partly hewn out of a rock which rises perpendicularly facing the east a quarter of a mile from the river in our way to it we crossed the ruins of a small ancient town i observed the fragments of four lions probably sphinxes which stood before the temple and a mutilated statue apparently of a woman the portico consists of five pilasters on each side of the door cut out of the rock each of which has a striking figure before it i believe representing hermes in the front of the portico are four columns formed of separate blocks of stone 
the pronaos is hewn out of the rock and has three square pillars on each side in a line from the door to the entrance into the cella in front of each of these pillars stands a colossal figure about eighteen feet high elevated four feet above the ground we may here see how the sculpture of primitive ages differs from that of the more modern school the figure of these colossi indicates that the artist meant to represent men but this is all their legs are mere shapeless columns and their bodies out of all proportion their faces are as bad as the artist could make them from the model of an ethiopian they have the usual mitres on their heads and are adorned on the lower part of their bodies with curious appendages not unlike the tobacco pouches used among the highlanders though i hope no one will suppose that i mean to suggest a comparison between the two nations the place is blackened with smoke i presume from the fires made by the natives behind the pillars are several niches cut in the rock but all mutilated in the cella are two small chambers one on each side cut also in the rock and at the end two lateral doors leading into smaller apartments independent of the aditum in the wall at the end of this are four figures seated as large as life and an altar before them as i have seen in other places without hieroglyphics or any inscription the floor is in many places dug up i suppose by the barbara or other nations in search of treasure the natives of this place are rather rough in their manners but were easily satisfied with a piece of soap a pipe of tobacco and a few potas here we bought some gryadan a grain of the size of a small shot which the nubians use as coffee it is a good substitute where no coffee is to be had and is much cheaper a little above this place is a dangerous passage of the nile a chain of rocks running across the river and making it very alarming when the waters are low but as they were now high we passed without danger the country here still continues quite barren in the afternoon of the next day we arrived at dacca see plate twenty one the mountains at this place stretch far from the nile and leave a spacious plain which no doubt has been formerly cultivated but is now covered with sand a stratum of vegetable mould is visible three feet under the sand on the banks of the nile the temple stands about a hundred yards from the river and has a very elegant appearance there are no hieroglyphics on the outside wall but the interior is adorned with beautiful figures in basso relievo it has a pronaos an aditum and a cella on the west side of the aditum is a small staircase which leads to the top of the temple and on the east a small chamber with figures uncommonly well executed the walls of the cella are well covered with religious processions in the lower part i observed several figures not unlike hermaphrodites from the cella a door in a line with the first entrance leads into an area formed by a wall which surrounds the edifice except in front on the east side of the exterior wall is a door which leads to a passage across the temple that separates the pronaos from the aditum the temple faces the north and at the distance of forty-eight feet is a propylion with the gateway facing the entrance to the pronaos the isolated situation of this edifice renders it still more graceful to the eyes of the traveller as it is entirely free from any other buildings near it on the propylion are several egyptian coptic and greek inscriptions one of which is as follows reader's note here follows a lengthy greek inscription
End note. We continued our voyage and arrived in the afternoon at Maraca or Ophelina, where stand the ruins of a small Egyptian temple, but evidently built by the Greeks. It consists of only a single portico, forty-two feet long and twenty-five wide, with a row of columns round the two sides and the back. On the right is a winding staircase, the only one I recollect having seen in any temple in Egypt or Nubia. The columns are fourteen in all. It has served as a Christian chapel, as is shown by many figures of the apostles, which remain perfect on the walls, but on close examination I observed clearly the Egyptian figures under the saints. The main entrance is closed by an altar, no doubt built by the Copts or Greeks after the Christian epoch. The wall facing the south is fallen down, but the stones still adhere to each other. On one of them I saw the following inscription readers note again a greek inscription End note. a few paces to the east stands part of another temple on which is the figure of isis dressed in the greek costume sitting under a tree before her stands the figure of orus in the act of offering to his mother in a niche further to the east is the figure of the egyptian isis and in another small niche above are a greek priest and priestess and the egyptian priapus a greater proof than this i never saw of the religion of the egyptian and greek nations united on the south of this temple is a large pedestal of granite formed by three steps which appears to have been erected for the purpose of supporting some large statue or obelisk we proceeded with a fair wind to woobat and the next day the thirty first of august brought us to sebua on our landing the first thing that attracted my notice was a propylaeon at a small distance from the nile in the middle of which interval are two standing figures eleven feet high these form the entrance to an avenue of sphinxes with lions bodies and men's heads that leads to the propylaeon which is much decayed there is the usual entrance or gateway into the pronaos at each side of which are five columns with figures in the front of each not unlike those in the pronaos at medinad abu the wind has accumulated a great quantity of sand which has not only covered the court but closed the entrance to the adytum and the cella from what i could discover after a close examination from the top part of this temple it deserved to be opened but as my principal views were bent on other objects which i thought of greater importance we continued our voyage towards deer the country here is very barren and few habitations are to be seen anywhere next day we arrived at korosko a few miles above this place the nile turns towards the northwest and as the wind blew mostly from that quarter we had it right against us besides a very strong current for the nile was nearly at its height though the day was very hot the night was exceedingly cold considering the climate we were in at this place we found it very difficult to advance for the wind still continued strong ahead and the sailors could not track the boat by ropes on the shore as the bank was covered with thorns and acacia trees so that it took us two days to reach the territory of deer where the river resumes its course again to the south from the trees i have mentioned we gathered a little gum arabic and the rice of the boat caught some chameleons which we intended to keep alive they feed on flies and boiled rice and drink water but they do not agree together in confinement for they bit off the tails and legs of each other 
if put into the water they swell like bladders and swim faster than they can crawl they generally live on palm trees and descend in the evening to drink we caught about thirty but they all gradually died i saw a female full of eggs of the size of large peas eighteen in number all attached to the matrix the fifth of september brought us to deer the great capital of lower nubia the town consists of several groups of houses built of earth intermixed with stones they are in general not higher than eight or ten feet a few excepted which are the habitations of the cacheps of the country the town is close to the water-side at the foot of the sloping and rocky hill is a small temple but i could not venture to go to see it as i observed we were closely watched i went immediately to hassan kacheff who received me with an air of suspicion and wanted to know our business i told him that we ascended the nile merely to seek for antiquities and that we wished to proceed as far as the shalal or second cataract this he said was impossible for the people in the upper country were at war with each other he then ordered his mat to be brought to him seated himself close before the door of his house and invited me to sit also the first question he put to me was if i had any coffee i replied we had a little on board for our own use but that he was welcome to half of it he next asked for soap and i made the same reply then he inquired if we had any tobacco i told him we had but a few pipes and we would smoke it together with which he was exceedingly pleased the next question was if i had any powder to which i answered that i had very little and could not spare any at this he laughed and put his hand on my shoulder saying you are english and can make powder wherever you go i was glad that he thought so and deemed it prudent to leave him with this impression but i told him i did not come there either to make powder or to waste any by this time my janizary had brought me some tobacco from on board so we began to smoke and coffee of gradin was served but notwithstanding this he said my sailors would not advance any farther for they were afraid to go into the upper country i told him that if he gave me a letter to his brother Otsien, we should be out of any danger i then showed him the letter of khalil bey at esne to his brother on which he observed that this letter did not mention where i was going perceiving that the affair was likely to proceed very dilatorially i frankly told him if he meant to let me pursue my journey i would make him a very handsome present of a fine looking-glass some soap and some coffee on the contrary if i were to return he would lose all and incur the displeasure of the bay of esne besides his reply was we will talk of this to-morrow so i returned to our boat without any positive answer early in the morning i went to him again when he asked me for the looking-glass i replied that it was ready if he gave me the letter to his brother at faris which at last he did previous to our departure from cairo i took occasion to obtain all the information possible concerning the country of nubia from the natives who came to that city with dates and charcoal and from them i learned that a looking-glass and a few venetian beads would be equal there to silver plate and pearls accordingly we took a good stock with us though i was not certain of entering nubia the looking-glass i gave the kachef was twelve inches long and ten broad and was the largest the people there had ever seen it made a great impression on them many who never came down as far as aswan had not seen a looking-glass before and it astonished them greatly 
the cachef was never tired of admiring his bear-like face and all his attendants behind him strove to get a peep at their own chocolate beauty laughing and much pleased with it the cachef gave it not without fear to one of them with a strict charge to be careful not to break it on my way to our boat i met a very old man who knew baram kachef the tyrant of dar in the time of norden he said that baram died in his bed but all his descendants were slain by the mamelukes and that he was a boy when baram died we left deir about noon and a few hours brought us to hafi where the river flows from the southwest the country all the way from deir to this place is tolerably productive of dura and dates and furnishes also a great deal of cotton which is gathered and sent to cairo the sugar-cane is not cultivated here which i know not whether to attribute to the laziness of the natives or to the country being too hot for that plant but i am inclined to think the former is the real cause proceeding onward we came to ibrim this place stands on a high rock nearly perpendicular and forming the bank of the nile the town is surrounded by a wall of sun-baked bricks the houses are all in a ruined state having been uninhabited ever since the mamelukes made it their abode on their retreat to dangala close to the water-side are several chambers not unlike sepulchres hewn out of the rock some of which have been painted apparently by the greeks and retained their colour remarkably well the cultivated land on the south side of the river in some parts extends not more than two hundred yards in width but it is thickly set with palm-trees producing dates which are esteemed the best in egypt and in which the nubians carry on a considerable trade the northern bank is quite barren except a few date and acacia trees in my voyage from ibram to the second cataract i must entreat the reader's indulgence i noted down the names of all the villages we passed as they were given to me and thus i lay them before the public as i am not aware that they have been yet described by any traveller messrs lay and smelt who were the first to penetrate to any extent up this country by water did not proceed beyond ibrim and norden has given a correct account of all the villages and districts he passed only as far as dare about a league above ibrim we came to the village of vadi shubak on the east and mosmos on the west the country on the east continued to be covered with dates as far as bostan but on the west it is quite a desert from Toske we saw several rocks in the plain toward the east which resembled so many pyramids of various sizes and i should not wonder if these suggested to the egyptians the first idea of this form some of them appear to be about two hundred feet high we went on shore at ermine on the west of the river the banks here are covered with the thorny acacia tamarisks and palm trees and some cultivated ground next day we saw the island of hogos on this island are the ruins of an ancient tower which must have commanded the whole nile as the river is not very narrow there and the island is exactly in the centre of it the blocks of stone are not so large as those in the temples in egypt but they are well connected together after this we reached formandy a district extending on both sides of the nile as far as sarag at formandy the river turns to the northeast for two leagues only but we had as much trouble to pass this place as we had at carosco the current and wind being both against us i cannot omit mentioning the hard labour the barbarian boatmen had on this occasion 
they were continually in the water and though good swimmers they had great trouble in wading against the current to pull the rope from under the trees which cover the banks of the nile in such a manner that it is impossible to track it along on the shore they are a people living very hardly and eat anything in the world they chew the rock salt or natron mixed with tobacco putting the mixture between the front teeth and the lower lip the natron is found in several parts of egypt and is one of their articles of trade the laplanders are said to be very filthy in their food and i am sure these people are not unlike them in that respect when we killed a sheep i had sometimes the pleasure of seeing the entrails opened pieces of which dipped once into the water were eaten by them raw the head and feet with the skin wool hoofs and all were put into a pot which is never washed to be half boiled when they drank the broth and devoured the rest we fastened our bark to the shore in the district of formandy and i mounted a high rock to have a view of the country around i found on the west of the nile an extensive plain with low isolated hills in the form of sugar loaves covered with black smooth stones something approaching to basalt some of the stones are above five feet in length the country is everywhere barren there are only a few date trees near the water next morning we reached faras which we left on the east and went to see the temples of Istanbul on the west as we crossed the nile exactly opposite these temples we had an opportunity of examining and having full views of them at a distance see plate forty two in the front of the minor temple are six colossal figures which make a better appearance at a distance than when near them they are thirty feet high and are hewn out of the rock as is also the large temple which has one figure of an enormous size with the head and shoulders only projecting out of the sand and notwithstanding the great distance i could perceive that it was beautifully executed on the upper part or frieze of the temple was a line of hieroglyphics which covered the whole front and above this a range of figures in a sitting posture as large again as life the sand from the north side accumulated by the wind on the rock above the temple and which had gradually descended towards its front choked the entrance and buried two-thirds of it on my approaching this temple the hope i had formed of opening its entrance vanished at once for the amazing accumulation of sand was such that it appeared an impossibility ever to reach the door we ascended a hill of sand at the upper part of the temple and there found the head of a hawk projecting out of the sand only to its neck from the situation of this figure i concluded it to be over the door from the size of the head the figure must have been more than twenty feet high below the figure there is generally a vacant space so that with the cornice over the door and the frieze i calculated that the doorway could not be less than thirty-five feet below the surface of the sand and this distance would have accorded in proportion with the front of the temple which is one hundred and seventeen feet wide the sand ran down in a slope from one side to the other and to attempt to make an aperture straight through it to the door would have been like making a hole in the water it was necessary therefore to remove the sand in such a direction that it might fall off from the front of the door but in doing this the sand from above would continue to fall on the place whence that below was removed and render it an endless task 
besides the natives were wild people totally unaccustomed to such labor and knew nothing of working for money indeed they were ignorant of money altogether all these difficulties seemed such insurmountable obstacles that they almost deterred me from the thought of proceeding yet perseverance stimulated by hope suggested to me such means that at last after much exertion and two voyages thither i had the satisfaction of entering the great temple of isambal having taken a proper measurement of the front of the temple and made a calculation i found that if i could persuade the people to work with persevering steadiness i might succeed in the undertaking i did not examine the small temple that night as i wished early to reach the village of isambul and to see ossian kachef the rocks out of which the temple is hewn continue for about two hundred yards southward and then open into a flat country where are some good spots of cultivated land on the banks of the nile abounding with palm trees we embarked and soon landed at the village i perceived a group of people assembled under a grove of trees who when i came near them seemed to be somewhat surprised at the sudden arrival of a stranger having desired to see ossian kachef for some time i received no answer but at last was told that he who sat there was daoud kachef his son i saw a man about fifty years of age clad in a light blue gown with a white rag on his head as a turban seated on a ragged mat on the ground a long sword and a gun by his side with about twenty men surrounding him who were well armed with swords spears and shields a younger brother of much inferior rank and dignity was among them who behaved very roughly towards me some had garments others had none and they altogether formed a ragged assembly by no means of most encouraging aspect these people have no other employment than to gather the imposts of their master from the poorer sort of natives the kachef himself has nothing to do but to go from one place to another to receive his revenue and in every place to which he goes he has a house and a wife he is absolute master to do what he pleases there is no law to restrain him and the life of a man here is not considered of so much worth as that of a cat among us if he have not what he wants he takes it wherever he can find it if refused he uses force if resisted the opponent is murdered and thus the kachef lives they are not easily led by promises for there is so little faith among them that what is not obtained is considered as imaginary it was with such a race of people i had to deal and from whom i had to obtain permission to penetrate into a place and to carry on operations the thought of which appeared to them like that of a madman to persuade them to undertake work for money was still worse as their only mode of buying and selling is by bartering dura for dates or dates for salt it will be recollected that messrs lay and smelt did not think proper to go any higher than ibram as it was useless to penetrate into a country where money was of little or no use which in fact was the case at that time at deer and much more so above that place daoud kachef demanded of me what business brought me there i told him i had a letter from the kachef his uncle directed to ossian kachef his father and that i came into the country in search of ancient stones 
he laughed and said that a few months before he had seen another man who came from cairo in search of treasure and took away a great deal of gold in his boat and that i came for the same purpose not to take stones what had i to do with stones if it were not that i was able to procure gold from them i answered the stones i wished to take away were broken pieces belonging to the old pharaoh people and that by these pieces we were in hopes of learning whether our ancestors came from that country which was the reason for my coming in search of ancient stones i thought this might serve as a good explanation of the motives by which i was induced to open the temple he then asked where i meant to go in search of these stones i told him the place in the rock had a door and by removing the sand we could enter and perhaps should find many stones there accordingly i proposed to have the place opened and on a promise that if i succeeded he should receive a bakshis he consented on his own part but still his father remained to be persuaded and then people to be procured who would work at such a place without fearing harm from the devil i told him that those who worked would obtain money what money do you mean said he money from mohammed ali bashaw of cairo what can we do with it we cannot buy anything here or at dongola i said the money may be sent to aswan and there dura could be purchased with it but replied daoud if we do so they keep the money and send us no dura i could scarcely believe that they had so little faith or notion of commerce but the fact is that what produce they carry to cairo siut or esne they exchange for other articles which they send to the southern country of nubia and never receive any money for it i produced a piastre and showed it to some of the people who by this time had increased in number all round seated themselves in form of a crescent before us and were staring me in the face observing all my motions i went on endeavouring to persuade them of the advantages they would derive from such money if they introduced it into their country the cacheff however seemed convinced that it would do no good for then he observed the people who were not contented to stay in nubia could sell their cows and goats and go and live in egypt i believe he was right in this point but it was certainly impolitic in him to make such a remark before his subjects one of them took the piastre from my hands and after looking at it for some time asked me who would give anything for that small piece of metal any one i answered will give you a measure of dura for it quite enough for a man to eat in three days that may be so in your country replied he but here i am sure no one will give six grains of dura for so small a bit of iron i told him if he went on board our boat and presented it to any one there he would get for it dura enough to suffice him for the time i had mentioned off he ran like a deer and in a few minutes returned with the dura folded in a rag fastened to his waist i had previously instructed the rice of our boat what he had to do if any of the natives should come with money to fetch dura and accordingly he gave him the measure so ordered for a piastre this experiment had a good effect not only on the minds of the people but also on that of the cacheff though barbarian-like he was not yet thoroughly satisfied he observed that a man who laboured a whole day ought to have four times that measure for his share therefore if i would give them four piastres a day each he would persuade the people to work at length with much ado i made a bargain for two piastres a man 
daoud told me that a man who came there a few months before had left in his hands three hundred piastres to open that place for him but the people would not undertake the business as no one cared for such small pieces of metal on the traveller's return from wadi halfa he expected to have found the place open but daoud gave him his pieces of metal back again as he did not know what to do with them i found afterwards that the person who had been there was mr d the ex-consul of france in egypt and that in fact he received his money back as the people would not work for it the next and greatest difficulty was to persuade ossian kachev to let us proceed for without his consent nothing could be done he lived at eshki a day and a half up the nile that night we slept at isambul as i wished to strengthen the disposition of the kachev in my favour accordingly i sent him a measure of rice about four pounds weight three ounces of coffee half a pound of sugar and a few leaves of a particular sort of tobacco called tunny jebel from syria which the barber chew and consider it a great luxury in the evening we received on board some sour milk and warm thin cake of dura bread this is baked on a flat stone eighteen inches square raised from the ground by a small stone at each corner so as to admit a fire under it and when it is at a certain degree of heat the paste is laid on it which being quite soft or nearly liquid spreads in a sheet all over the stone and in one minute is firm enough to be turned which is done with great dexterity without breaking it as soon as one is baked another is placed on the stone and they are pretty good if eaten while hot but when cold they are quite sour and disagreeable they are generally eaten with sour milk but if allowed to get cold they are broken to pieces put into a bowl and boiled lentils poured on them this forms the general food of the country end of first journey part five